0: Welcome to Find Myself Free, the podcast. I'm Ellie Young, alcohol-free life coach, mom, and athlete. I'm dedicated to helping others change their relationship to alcohol by sharing my journey of transformation. Fascinated by my own capacity for change after decades of gray area drinking, I'm passionate about sharing what I've learned from neuroscience and positive psychology to help you break free from the drinking cycle and unlock your true potential. Hear my personal stories of Triumph and struggle as I navigate raising two boys, finding myself after 40, building a business, and doing it all alcohol-free. From women's health and cycle syncing to fasting and biohacking, this podcast is your roadmap to a healthier, purpose-filled life that starts with changing your relationship to alcohol. It's time to embrace change, find balance, and create the life you were meant for. Welcome to Find Myself Free. Hello and welcome to Find Myself Free. Today, I'm
1: going to be sharing with you guys five things that I learned about myself going alcohol-free. Now, you learn a ton of things going alcohol-free, and mostly what is the overwhelming sensation when you are attempting to go alcohol-free is fear. We are so afraid of this change in our life because we can't imagine our worlds without alcohol. All we're picturing is the life that we're currently living and removing the alcohol from it, which we believe is this key ingredient in enjoying ourselves and relaxing. And we think like, oh my gosh, how could you just remove this key ingredient and still enjoy all these things? Um, So here is what I've learned because I had a ton of fear, just like you, that my life would never be the same that i wouldn't be able to enjoy myself that people would see me as this uptight person who can't have any fun um and that's actually what i thought of other people prior to me giving up alcohol that's i was so curious but judge, judgy at the same time of anybody who didn't drink because i immediately assumed they must have been a bad drinker they must have had something bad happen who voluntarily just gives up alcohol if they didn't have to? Right. Um, and but I kind of went deep down, was like, man, how do you do it? Also, I thought, like, they must have incredible discipline. Like, how do they show up at these things where everybody's drinking and not want to drink? Because anytime I tried to cut back or tell myself I was only going to have two, or not tell myself I wasn't going to drink, it was incredibly hard. And nine times out of 10, I failed. I always drink more than i wanted i always felt worse um you know i for so long i fooled my i tried to fool everybody my entire like purpose after drinking was to pretend like i was fine and that i was so tough and that i could handle it that i wouldn't let anybody know just how hungover i was i would Work out. I woke up with the kids. I always let my husband sleep in, and that created loads of resentment in our relationship when the children were young. As I would be like, I'm fine, like, I, I didn't want to bear any shame of being like, I'm too hungover to actually do a good job parenting. So I forced myself through so many miserable mornings of just feeling terrible. My kids both woke up at like 5 a.m. They were both roosters when they were like babies and toddlers. And so I was up early with two little boys and trying to pretend like I was okay. And, you know, I never fooled myself. Deep down, I knew that I had to change and that this it was it was such an awful feeling to know that like i felt terrible at because of my own hand because of something i was doing to myself but i never really allowed myself to even look at it really you know so much of the work i do now is understanding the brain and understanding the habits and understanding the subconscious that was driving everything but at the time I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know I was drinking to cope. It was just an impulse. It was literally just a reaction. You know, our brain is so on autopilot when it comes to alcohol that we're not consciously going, "Boy, I'm a, I'm under a lot of stress right now. I'm going to drink." We don't really consciously have that thought. We just impulsively get the alcohol and and start drinking it. We impulsively, you know, seek out places and people that we can drink with so that it's, so that it feels normal and it feels safe and, um, and that nobody's judging us. And the fact, the fact is that, you know, it's so easy to hide this behavior because it's so normalized. And, but deep down, we're not really hiding it from ourselves. We know that, that it's unhealthy. We know how bad we feel deep down. And normalizing how bad we feel is another part of the process that, that is so shameful. Um, so anyways, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but basically the things that I learned were, were so counter to my fears about giving up alcohol that I, I want to address them. And so, you know, one of the biggest fears I had was that something deep down was wrong with me. And, um, you know, alcoholism runs in my family, even though I don't truly believe in that word now. I don't believe that it's a diagnosis, a disease that you can't overcome. You know, it's not like other diseases where you can test for it. There's a blood test for it, or you can go to the doctor. And it's, it's just this like vague, you know, criteria that you answer for yourself. Only you know how much alcohol is affecting your life. And you know, they ask you all these questions, and you can be like, "Yes, okay." Um, but it's it's more, you know, a lot of people want to say, "Oh, alcoholism is is inherited," and again, I I would argue that as well, but that's for another episode. But what I do know is that it is tied to mental health, it is tied to coping, and that when you do start drinking not just for fun, but to cope in some way, to treat pain, to to treat stress, to treat some sort of discomfort in your life, the brain does recognize it quicker and starts to um, seek it out more so than if you were just using it to like socialize and celebrate. And so that does speed up the addiction process. Now, I do believe that you can become addicted to something and that alcohol is an addictive substance and that all people are susceptible to becoming addicted not just a few not just an unlucky few um anyone given the right circumstances given the right frequency and volume anyone can become addicted um and i was addicted in a in a way that was helping me cope through the difficult days of the pandemic, but I was on the ramp to drinking heavily um, for a really long time. And um, deep down, because of the the history in my family, not just with alcoholism, but with depression and anxiety, I kind of always feared that it was coming for me. Not that I changed my behavior at all, I, you know, and and isn't that interesting that with all that in our family, nobody warned me. Nobody said, don't drink. You know, I started drinking at 16 under my own roof with my parents who thought that they were doing the right thing by safely introducing it to me, you know, taking all the keys away from me and my friends and, you know, creating an environment where they could, you know introduce it in a safe place. But, um, all of the studies show that the earlier you are introduced to alcohol, the, the higher chance you have of developing an addiction. It's, it's just science. It's just the numbers. The earlier you are introduced that the, you get on that ramp and you're, you're on it. Everybody is on the same slippery slope. They're just at different stages at different points because alcohol is an addictive substance. Um, And, you know, I think there's also a big myth about European cultures where they, you know, drink younger and they drink at the dinner table and wine is, you know, just this culturally acceptable, you know, beverage to have at the table. Um, But that also is wrong. They do not manage their alcohol any better than us. They, um, maybe they don't have the same binge drinking culture of college that we have, but alcoholism rates are just as high in the european countries as they are in the us so it is a total misnomer that the europeans have got it right by not making it taboo and and in tr- introducing it to kids young so that it's not this like you know little thing that they go after as soon as they get the chance when when you're younger so um anyways i digress again but yeah so one of my biggest fears was deep down that there was something wrong with me and so what i learned um is that It actually wasn't my fault and there was nothing wrong with me. You know, alcohol is an addictive substance. And what was wrong is the nature in which I had been conditioned to drink it. The nature of the acceptability of drinking it in all shapes and forms in all areas of my life. Um, I was conditioned to drink this substance. I was given permission to drink this substance for anything and everything, to treat anything and everything. And that was, is something that you can't really see until you're out of it. You can't really recognize just how much you were indoctrinated into the drinking culture until you step away from it and, and see, huh, oh my gosh, I used to think that alcohol was a part of this experience because I had never truly ever experienced it without alcohol. I mean, think about it. We start drinking when we're young, we start drinking in our teen years. At least I did. And I think most people do. They try it when they're in their teens, and then college is this just like free for all. Um, And we haven't socialized as adults, we haven't dated, we haven't, you know, had sex without alcohol, like it. It really became a huge factor in all of this adult behavior. And then when we try now to separate ourselves from it, we realize, oh my gosh, I've never done this. Like, when's the last time you went to a birthday party sober? When's the last time you know you went to uh, you know a basketball game, you know, a, any any type of celebration and didn't drink? I know unless you're a woman and you have had a baby, there's very few occasions where we are like choosing not to drink at any social event. It's just ubiquitous. And so this is social conditioning. We have been fed this. We have been, you know, the alcohol industry, they say, they say it's going to go the way of cigarettes. But I... It's going to be a long road to get there. But basically, we are now well aware that alcohol is terrible for us. It is worse than cigarettes as far as all of the cancers that it causes, as far as all of the dysfunction and damage it causes families, um, the abuse, the car accidents, you, know, you name it. Um, and they're aware of it. But we can't even get labels on alcohol bottles that say this, you know, is a a carcinogen. We can't even, you know, I know some strategies in some countries are to make it more expensive so that it just becomes priced out for some people to buy alcohol. You know, I I forget where I heard it that alcohol is the cheapest beverage available per ounce at a store, like. When you break down the cost of like a case of beer compared to like a case of water, orange juice, or milk for that matter, it's actually the cheapest liquid available. I I would have to fact check that, but I heard that somewhere, Um, and that's just incredible, right? Um, I saw another post the other day that was like the square footage wise in grocery stores, the most square footage is dedicated to the alcohol sold in the stores, the biggest footprint is for the alcohol and the booze. More than any fruit, vegetable, product, any other product, alcohol gets the biggest footprint in our stores. That's crazy. So number one, I learned it was not my fault. And because I had been conditioned to do this, it was completely normal for me to have developed an addiction in the way I did and to use it to cope and to think that it was normal. and. Um, and now breaking free of that, I realized also that it's, it wasn't a disease. I just needed to change what I believed. I needed to break down all of that social conditioning in my subconscious and, and experiment and try other things and be like, oh, is there another way to live my life in all of these environments? Do I have to drink in all these environments to have fun? Do I have to? drink in order to relax do i have to drink to survive parenting and motherhood and the answer was no but i hadn't been conditioned to do that i hadn't learned how to do that any other way and so that's what going alcohol free is just like this this journey into learning about yourself without a neurotoxin on board and being like oh i'm going to explore the world now without this substance in my system um number 2 you know, one of the next things I learned is that um, shaming myself into change was completely ineffective. I had been carrying shame for a number of years, and it was never enough to get me to change. I had plenty of hangovers that shamed me, that made me feel like just, wow, how could you have done this to yourself? You know, nine times out of 10, I faked it that I was fine. And I tried to convince everybody around me, but I couldn't convince myself, but that shame lingered in my system. Um, I always talk about this moment of, you know, when I was really at the height of my drinking during the pandemic, I was homeschooling my two boys. Um, my two dogs were dying. It was a really rough time for me. Um, And I would wake up and work out. I have a Soul Cycle bike, and there's the computer screen that's like attached to the front of it where you can stream the classes. And I could see kind of the reflection of my face in the screen. And I just looked like hell. I had bloodshot eyes. My face was always puffy. Um, I was dehydrated. I was gray looking. I just looked so old and so tired. And I was looking at my face. You know, here I am working out, trying to sweat it out. And I was like, how, how much longer am I going to do this? And I was approaching 40 and I was looking at the next decade of my life going, am I going to continue to show up this way? You know, what else is there for me? I was just fighting the old age. I was fighting the weight gain. I was fighting my mental health. The world was falling apart all around us my marriage was struggling. My two dogs were dying. My my eldest son had undiagnosed ADHD at the time. I was so conflicted on how to help him. And I was poisoning myself to cope with that. And I didn't understand it at the time, but that's what I was doing. That's what I had been conditioned to do, to get through it. Everyone, no one would have questioned, yes, this is a time you drink. This is something you drink to get through. Everyone encouraged it at every step. If I would have told them what I was, you know, dealing with it's like, oh, let's drink to that. So I, I had carried this shame for so long, and it did nothing to help me change. In fact, it probably contributed more to my drinking because I felt so shitty about myself. You know, all I was trying to do every morning was right size myself, sweat it out overachieve 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 so that i could prove to everybody that i was fine i'm good and then wind myself up with caffeine take a bunch of supplements overachieve 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 and then when the appropriate hour on the clock hit start drinking again um it was a brutal cycle and the shame was not the thing that finally tipped the scales for me to change. The thing that finally tipped the scales for me was new information. Information that led to transformation. This is something Dr. Joe Dispenza in his book You Are the Placebo writes about. The information that changed me, it's it's how I started to change what I believed alcohol to be doing in my subconscious. And again, I didn't understand this process at the time, but I'm explaining it to you now because knowing it can help you speed up this process for yourself. If you get new information, if you learn all the science about alcohol and just how bad it is for you, if you learn that all of your drinking behavior is stemming from your subconscious and you start to get new information that you can plant in your subconscious and you start chipping away at these old beliefs that are keeping you stuck, Because you've never questioned them because you've been conditioned to use alcohol in so many situations and you haven't ever questioned it. You haven't ever seen another way of being in your adult life. And so this information is this the thing that starts to change you. And that's how I changed is I read Quit Like a Woman. I actually listened to it on Audible. And then the next book I read was um this naked mind by Annie Grace and I never drank again and I had been struggling to change for a very very long time not knowing how badly I wanted to change I just knew how shitty I felt and I had started to accept it that it was just old age that it was just part of motherhood start part of you know I thought we just that's life you live with anxiety and mild depression I wouldn't even have called it then because I was still too prideful to accept that I could I could feel that way. I didn't tie it to the alcohol. I just thought it was just part of motherhood, middle-aged. And I just was like, oh, my God, what is the next 10 years going to look like? And after that, like, wow. Um, the next lesson I learned is is about willpower and that willpower doesn't work. And I had loads of willpower. Like I am an, inc- I have a super driven person. I have. I played Division One college soccer. I was a straight A student. I graduated magna cum laude out of college. I pushed myself in every arena. I was incredibly disciplined. I worked out. I took all of my uh, athletic drive from college soccer, and I put it into working out as an adult. I. I would wake up before work and I'd run five miles every morning in the dark when I was like in my twenties, and no one was forcing me to do that. That's just the kind of pressure I put on myself all the time. I always tried to eat right. Um, I was never a lean, skinny person. I'm an athlete and I am built very sturdy, as my dad would call me. He used to call me stocky when I was younger, which killed me, but. We switched it to sturdy, which is, I don't know, I guess it's a little better. <laughs> but um that was my relationship with my body and food was, you know, like most women, not healthy all the time. And I was I loved what my body could do, but I never loved how my body looked. And um, you know, it's so funny that my relationship with alcohol was also always about trying to drink the skinniest version of a drink possible. So it was like, I didn't want wine because it was too much sugar. I didn't want beer because beer made you fat. Right. And then, so it was, I had, I drank diet Coke with Bacardi and that was to me like a low carbohydrate with caffeine to give me lots of energy. Um, um, that was my drink. That was my skinny girl cocktail. And then as I got older, it was also like, oh, let's just do tequila on the rocks because that's low carb and that's the cleanest alcohol. Isn't it hilarious that we always were like, oh, it's the cleanest one. It's the least, you know, least amount of sugar. It's the most pure, but it's a toxin. Ugh. The like irony there is just kills me. But um yeah, so that's uh the willpower that. I was able to use in all these other areas of my life didn't work for alcohol because I I still believed anytime I tried to take a break that I was missing out. And that's what made it so hard. That's what made it so that I eventually would fail. Um, I would do three-day cleanses here and there, and all I was doing was counting down the days until I could drink again. And then the one time I did pull off 27 straight days was because I had shamed myself into uh you know, it was like a punishment because I had had such a bad hangover that I had blacked out and I had blacked out at my friend's birthday and I, I talked about this on a previous podcast, but it was a really bad night for me um and that shame carried me through 27 days and then I went right back to my same habits because again, the shame was ineffective. the willpower, Powered by the shame lasted 27 days. But again, I knew I was, I knew I was going to drink again eventually. And I was just counting how long I could go, some arbitrary number, until I could prove to myself, look, you're fine. You're fine. You can drink again now. You have no problem. Um, and I went right back to my same habits, just so easily, the brain slipped right back into that pattern of drinking regularly all the time. The brain just would convince me this is appropriate. This is okay. All that conditioning, it's so so strong. It's so powerful and it lives in your subconscious and it is bigger and stronger than any conscious desire you have to change. And that's why willpower doesn't work until you hack that subconscious and you truly replace those beliefs with new ones that better serve you. New ones that are based on the 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 foundational truth of alcohol and how it affects your system and how it affects your life, and really hammering that home through repetition, trial and error, and saying, huh, is alcohol really doing what I think it's doing for me? Or is it doing this? Is it actually sabotaging my mental health? Is it wrecking my sleep? Is it, is it dulling my intuition and my ambition? Is it making all of the stress and anxiety in my life so much worse because i'm messing with my homeostasis of my body that you know it's it basically keeps you low and then re- releases adrenaline and cortisol to counter that low so you are just riddled with stress hormones from drinking even when you're not drinking huberman lab talks about this in his podcast on alcohol that's a devastating podcast to listen to. I actually highly recommend listening to it, but it's a heavy pill to swallow because you you there's no way around it understanding just how much alcohol has damaged us. But you can recover. You can change, you can get better, and I am living proof of that. My health just continues to improve. Um so there is hope. Um Then one of the next things I learned is that I was actually meant for more than the status quo nights filled filled with booze. And this is the magic of going alcohol-free is we are so closed-minded when we think about a future without alcohol because we only picture what we're currently doing now and then removing the alcohol. And we're like, "How, how could I do these things and not drink? But the fact of the matter is, You won't do the same things anymore. Your life will get bigger. It will expand because you're no longer thinking small and and using alcohol as your entertainment and your form of relaxation. You all of a sudden open up the door to all sorts of new things, to new people, to new ideas. You start pursuing things that have been on the back burner of of your wish list for a really long time. It almost feels childlike when you start exploring like all these things that you like to do again. Like I got into tie dye for about a year in my early sobriety because I was I loved tie dye. I loved color. I loved gift giving. I loved the artistry of it. I loved entrepreneurship. I started selling my tie dye Um, and that just opened up a whole world of creativity for me that i hadn't tapped into since i was a kid since well before i was drinking and i forgot like oh yeah that's right i'm a bit of a maker like i like to make things i like to um i like to be artistic i like to gift give and it feels really good to give things to people um so that is that is the fun part of exploring you know this alcohol free life is you start to realize like oh my gosh I have been limiting myself by just relying on alcohol to entertain myself for so long. We just show up places and we drink and that we don't require any other, you know, form of entertainment. You realize just how boring all the stuff we've been doing really is. You're like, think about a bar. Just think about the nature of a bar. You show up to a room and there's a bunch of alcohol and there's a bunch of people, and nothing's really happening except conversations that get sloppier and sloppier because you're drinking a neurotoxin. And the fact of the matter is, there's not really any real connection going on there. Your brain is just being <laughs> dulled down and you're getting drunk. That's really all that's happening. You say, oh, but it's fun. It's really just a dopamine boost for 20 minutes, and then your brain and body go into this kind of spiral roller coaster situation, trying to course correct from the toxin that you're putting into yourself. Um, it's it's kind of a again another hard truth to face when you realize just like that's what I've been doing with my life. When you think about how big and beautiful the world is, and everything there is to do, and all these experience there is to have. And so much of it has been spent just poisoning ourselves in certain environments and calling it entertainment and calling it fun, calling it socializing. Um, It's kind of like, oh my gosh, is there, what else is there, you know? Um, The next thing I learned is, and this is a big one, is that I actually don't need alcohol to enjoy my life. I was so afraid I was giving up all the fun of socializing because I had been drinking in every social occasion for decades. And it really just turns out that I was out of practice or not even out of practice because we never even practiced socializing without alcohol. We basically, once we got into those teenage years and those college years, all of socializing was done with alcohol and we've never done it any other way. So you are literally forging a new path for yourself. You are creating new neural pathways. And it can be exciting. And sometimes I wonder if I would have been able to do this when I was younger, if I could have had the guts to forge a new pathway like this, when I was in my 20s, or even in my 30s, you know, Um, in your 20s, you're, you know, you're insecure, you're in college, you're, you're, you're just following the crowd of like, this is what we do to socialize. You know, we all go out and we get shit faced. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of other options, <laughs> even as a college athlete where I was pretty limited on the days that I could party. Um, it was still just a big, you know, get to the place where you can drink, you know, get through the practices, get through the school. And then now we drink. Um, and then in your 30s, this was when I was having kids, young, young children, you're taught to use alcohol to cope. And that there's that's what that's what parents do. You you drink to cope with having babies because you're like, oh, we're all in this together, right? We gotta survive with our alcohol. And then I don't know if I could have done it if I was brave enough. I think being 40 and confronting that next phase of my life and being like, Okay. You start to kind of, a lot of people say, you know, when you're 40, you kind of get into that, like, fuck it attitude. Like, you stop caring about what people think as much. You you are kind of out from under the, pr- you know, primary role of being a caretaker of young children. And you start to get more free time and more autonomy again. And you start to kind of be like, all right, who am I again? I've been taking care of babies. I've been self-sacrificing. I've been really putting myself last for a a decade. And now the kids are like old enough where you're like, okay, I have a little space to like kind of reassert myself and redefine myself. And I didn't want to define myself with alcohol anymore. I wanted to, my intuition was telling me I was meant for more than just continuing to show up and drink. And I know, I know if you're listening to this, that you're asking those same questions too. Your curiosity has been piqued. There is something inside of you that knows, like, ah, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to be attached to this substance. That is, you know, if you've woken up to the fact that it's it's kind of wrecking you. I want you to lean into that intuition. I want you to lean into that fear, those fears you have about cutting it out of your life, and recognize that, like. All of those fears are telling you what you, at your core, believe about alcohol. And you can break those down and you can change those beliefs. And then your behavior will naturally change. It's like magic. This is neuroplasticity. And it worked for me. Um, Thank you all for listening. I went a little over today, but I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, I'm with you. You got this. Hey team, you've just listened to an episode of Find Myself Free. And if some part of this left you wanting more, if your curiosity has been piqued and your intuition is telling you, I'm ready for more, I'm ready to look at my relationship to alcohol and find out just how much it's holding me back, then check out my coaching offers at findmyselffree.com. For those ready to kickstart a change privately on their own time, I offer the Brave course, a seven-day program to shift your mindset around alcohol and connect with your future self. This is chock full of all the information that was key to my transformation. If you're looking for additional support, I also offer one-on-one coaching. I worked with a coach for four months at the start of my alcohol-free journey, and it made all the difference being able to talk to someone who knew what I was going through and could help me navigate my new world gave me a foundation of support I could build on. And it's a big reason why I'm a coach today. I want to help others find their freedom and level up their health. If this sounds good to you, then connect with me at findmyselffree.com. Listen to that intuition that was telling you, you are meant for more. I'm with you. You got this.